Thank you for downloading this podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. I'm so glad that you are listening. This is Pastor Jonathan Krogh from First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange, hoping that you are blessed by these audio presentations. Now we light the second candle of Advent, the candle of love. Last year, as candles were lit in a sanctuary without people, our distance from one another made us sad because we could not join with others whom we loved. But because we loved one another, being apart was not scary. We knew God's love shining through us would keep us in each other's hearts and minds, even in the long days of isolation. <laughs> in the Bible, Zachariah and Elizabeth felt alone because they wanted a child. Even though they were very old, Elizabeth and Zachariah's loving desire for a child was fulfilled. God gave them John, who grew up to be John the Baptist. John reminded the people that God's love was greater than God's judgment, and that those who loved one another were doing God's work. We know that God so loves the world that he gave us his only son, Jesus, so we would not be forgotten but have eternal life. As we have throughout the years, we light again the candle of love, that love may burn bright as God's love shines in us. Please join us in prayer. You may be seated. My name is Atticus. This summer I went to Fate Forest Camp. One day we were praying and I saw a hummingbird feeding on a flower. This was my first time ever seeing a hummingbird, and it was beautiful. I believe that hummingbird was sent by God, and I felt his love in that moment. Now I understand if I look closely, I can see God around me. It's easy to see a world in a big way, but sometimes you miss God's miracles when you do that. So I try to focus on the small things. That is where I see God. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we are so thankful that you are always, that you are with us always. Please help us pay attention so we can see you in the world. Amen. And 168 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up the mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, and has, spoke, has spoken through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our ancestors Abraham to grant us that we would be rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. By the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give us light, or to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the pathway of peace. Also from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius the emperor, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Itraea and Traconius, 
and Licinius was ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Join me in prayer. As these words echo through the pages of history, may their echo find resonance within our hearts, and may they find a home where we will know that you are our God, and we are your people, to the glory of Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, but there is a certain unreality about this year's Christmas preparations. Last year, as we all know, was kind of weird. You know, I wore a Santa suit for eight days between November 15th and December 15th, trying to get that last segment of the Christmas Eve worship service right with the special effects that shot Santa down the chimney and then back up. You've no idea how hot a Santa suit gets when you've been wearing it all day long and you're in the parlor and then you go up to your office and find out that the sound didn't come across on that recording and go back downstairs again. It was very strange. On most of our minds were a lot of questions. Could we gather? Would we gather? Where would we gather if we gathered? How would we gather? Some families decorated their homes in full splendor, saying, you know what, it's Christmas anyway, so we're going to get everything out and decorate the house. Others said, you know, we're not having a company, and you've got to get on a ladder to be able to put the star on the tree, and you know, that's just, just, just find a couple of things and put them up, and we'll stay in our pajamas and call it Christmas. This year, like last year, we are facing a Christmas tree shortage. I'm sure that strikes terror in your hearts, and we can all blame the pandemic, although it actually isn't the pandemic's fault. Uh, the reason why we had a shortage of Christmas trees last year was because 13 years ago there was a great recession, and Christmas tree farms went out of business, and those that were in business didn't plant as many trees that year. The supply train for fresh Christmas trees is about 13 to 15 years long, and so, you know, we'd like to blame everything on the pandemic, but whatever's left over, we can blame on the Great Recession. We didn't have vaccines at this point last year, at least non-experimental vaccines. And so all we had to argue about was distancing and masks and the occasional skirmish over where the virus came from, as if it mattered. Now, we've got choices again, right? There are parties, caterers are open, we've pulled out all nine bins of Christmas decorations in our house. And while there's a little apprehension, what with Omicron floating around, 
for the most part, vaccines have permitted us to return to something that resembles normal, like, oh, by the way, you're here in the sanctuary. You got masks on, but here you are. And Christmas is closer to the way it used to be. Now, I don't mean to be nostalgic over something that was just a year ago, but I think we can all agree that last Christmas was different. Something profound shook up our routines, and in many ways we had to become more intentional. It's like when you're on a road trip, and it's getting late into the evening, and as the sun goes down, it begins to rain, you grab the steering wheel really tight, and you study where the lines are on the road and look at the lights so that you're much safer. And that little stretch in the darkness and in the rain becomes all you talk about on a 200-mile road trip, even though it was only about 15 miles, as you loosen your shoulders and open up your hands again and the sun comes up and the sky is clear. The rest of the trip is unremarkable, but that brief moment of tension becomes an opportunity for focus and care. Then, as we steer back into this much more normal season, we arrive at our destination and you lose track of time. Time disappears when things are normal. The other day I commented to my wife, Danny that uh, my knee had been feeling consistently good for the first time since my knee surgery last year. She said that was two years ago. I said, no, no, it wasn't. It was just before the pandemic. It was in February, and then we slammed down in March, and she said, that was two years ago. Because I completely lost all cognitive memory of 2021. It, it just was a blur, and I still haven't learned to attend to the fact that Danny's probably right. So when Luke is recording the birth of the Messiah, he's got to make it clear that there was nothing normal about what was going on. An elderly priest, Zechariah, whose wife was Elizabeth, was serving in the temple. They were good people, but for whatever reason, they were unable to conceive and have a child. The priests were split into divisions, squads, if you will, and they rotated the responsibilities throughout the year by which squad, which section was in, in power at the moment. And he was from the division of Abijah. It was a responsibility for the division of Abijah to go into the temple to bring the fresh bread for the table of showbread, to set the lamps aright, make sure that the oil would be purified for the coming weeks so that the lights of the menorah inside the temple could burn brightly basically cleaning things up and attending to the rites of the activities. And every day, someone was to go into the sanctuary, the large hall before the Holy of Holies, with the incense. And they determined in the division of Abijah who would take in the incense uh, by a random casting of lots. Zechariah reached into the hat and pulled out, and he had the marker that said that was the day for him to go into the sanctuary with the incense. And so he lit it and undertook the, uh, the honor of filling the sanctuary with the glorious smoke of incense as a reminder of the presence of the Spirit of God. While he was in there, an angel appeared to Zechariah and told him by the, that time next year he would be a father. Angels by the way, became very specific because in this instance, the angel says, you will have a child with Elizabeth. Ever since they told Abraham, the angels had become very specific after the whole Hagar debacle 
when they didn't say it's going to be a Sarah. So it's you, Zechariah, and Elizabeth will have a child. In Luke 1, verse 18, Zechariah points out to the angel that this is not a normal thing to predict. Here's what he says. Zechariah says to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is really... My wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, Look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, but because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you're going to be mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why the delay in the sanctuary. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision. For nine months, Zechariah was unable to speak. That was until the naming day for the newborn child. Everybody said, call him Zechariah Jr. We'll call him Little Zach. Zechariah, who had not spoken for nine months, opened his mouth and said, his name shall be called John. For the first time, speaking full voca, clearly. Later, when Zechariah was thinking back on that experience and talking to a friend, he says to, to the friend, that was just last year. Elizabeth from across the room said, no, that was two years ago. <laughs> of course, Elizabeth was right. We lose track of time when things are normal. That's why Luke painstakingly lays down here in the beginning of chapter 3 exactly when John, son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, began his ministry. We know him as John the Baptist. And it began in the 15th year of Tiberias when Pontius Pilate was governor, Herod was ruler of Galilee, Philip rule of Itraea and Trioticus, Lysanias was ruler of Abilene, the high priest was Annas and Caiaphas. There it is in the beginning of chapter 3 in all its specificity. Mark it down, circle it, says Luke. John the Baptist preached in a specific time, a specific place, in all the region around Jordan. History is boring, comes the call from the back of the lecture hall. Last week you threw a whole bunch of dates at us, 307 B.C., Alexander the Great, 167 B.C., the Seleucids, 174, the recapture of the temple for the first Hanukkah, 70 A.D., the fall of the temple. What's the point? All we need to know is God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. But our guest lecturer, Luke, is not amused. Because in the telling of the story, there is a profound difference between verifiable historic time and mythic time. That's the battle, my friends. We are constantly doing battle with the overwhelming seduction of myth. And what really happened tends to fade into the glorious fog of like we'd wish it had occurred. In the bleak midwinter, Frosty winds made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stove. Snow had fallen, snow on snow on snow and snow and snow. In the bleak midwinter, long time ago. That, my friends, is mythic time. It almost never snows in Bethlehem. 
And when it does, it never snows, snow on snow, snow on snow, snow and snow. It's a few flurries. But our brains have put it into this mythic time and pulled it out of this specific time about which the gospel writers are very, very clear, no matter how much we'd like to remember it that other way. Mythic time is always snowing over the hard, cold facts of real time. It's easier to remember that one's country is just always right. Set aside any facts to the contrary, that's, that's not to be attended to. We know how things really were, and they relate to a mythic image of ourselves, of our families, of our people, of our tradition. It is curious to me that at the core of every conspiracy theory is a myth. At the core of every conspiracy theory is the myth that there are these cosmic unseen forces behind the scenes that are playing themselves out in what we perceive as reality. But if you watch the right YouTube videos, you'll know what is really going on and no longer trust your eyes and ears. The gospel writers are working hard to make sure that this is not perceived as some conspiracy, some mythic time, some cosmic battle. It is an absolute historic fact that Jesus was born in a specific place at a specific time. Christmas is tempted to go back into mythic time even when real time shook us from our romantic myth. Last year at this time, neither you nor I knew if we would be here at this time. The fact of the matter is this, last year at this time, a half a million Americans had died from a virus. And we were concerned about what was real as we remain concerned about what is real. Our concern is easy to romanticize and fade into, ah, do you remember, do you remember how lovely it was during COVID Christmas? We all ate more meals together, we talked, we played video games together. It was just grand and glorious, except that too can become mythic time. Luke marks the date specificity matters for it was into a real world that john the baptist proclaimed the coming of a real messiah there was a harsh emperor tiberius on the throne there was a equivocating milquetoast governor named pilate there was a narcissistic self-appointed king named herod and a real john the baptist that cried into a true wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. It wasn't sleepy or mythic where time doesn't flow and traditions continue uninterrupted. Friends, you and I both know that there's a right way and a wrong way to decorate a Christmas tree. Have you had that argument in your house? We have. There is a right time to open Christmas gifts and it is Christmas Day unless you're one of those heresy-minded families that open on Christmas Eve. When our myths collide, our attitudes 
grow weird. And we end up wrestling over things that cannot be verified except somewhere in the grand mythologies of our heart in the way we would like to remember it. But when reality comes, genuine people matter. Flesh and blood takes on a new significance because it is the same flesh and blood that bore the Christ. That God came into our world, our history, our present. And that there is no way to romanticize that into anything but God's being with us in our real world. Thanks be to God. Amen.